0: that you might have life and life to the fullest. Life and life to the fullest. And so we really believe, our staff believes, the governing board believes, this church believes that you are meant to thrive. And what does that mean? Um, If you look, so the first thing is we believe that we are called as a community to worship God. And so for us, this is our weekend worship services when we gather together. It's our personal devotional lives as we come before God each and every day and we say, God, here I am. I love you. Um, so that's the first part of our equip, you could say, discipleship process. The second part is being in community. And so this would be growth groups and our life together dinners that a lot of you guys are in right now, which have been my group. We have two more weeks. It's been so good. Um. And, and it's also um, in the future of Vineyard Communities. These are going to be nine-month, uh, kind of like a growth group, but in people's homes. And so we're going to start those this fall. So that's, we believe that not only are you called to worship God, but you're also called to be in community. And that is one of those things where if you ever, Bible talks about iron sharpening iron, that's what it takes I, I could do Christianity on my own on an island, and I would be really good at it. And then all of a sudden, you put me with one of you or my wife or my kids, and all of a sudden, I realize how much God needs to grow me, okay? So being in community is so important. And the next area is called getting equipped. And this is where our equip courses come in. We want to equip you to do God's work. And so, thus, we have all these classes, like Five-Step Prayer Model, uh, Theology Kingdom Practice, Comparative Religions, um, Understanding How You're you're Wired, all these different classes to help you really understand and get equipped to do God's work in the community. And the last part is, uh, based off John Wimber and his story, he, he talked about this idea of going and doing the stuff. And he asked his pastor... At his church, after he gave his life to Jesus, he was reading the Bible, and he was reading, oh, Jesus did this, and this, and this, and then he sent out the disciples to do these things, and so he went to his pastor, and he said, pastor, when are we going to go do this stuff here? When are we going to go do this stuff? And the pastor said, oh, we don't do this stuff. We just read about it, okay? And so all of a sudden, one of the things here in the vineyard, we believe that God has not just equipped a couple people, just a couple pastors. He equips all of us to go do his work in the community. We all get to do this stuff. So we want every single person on a ministry team, every single person reaching out with a compassion and mercy. So if you put our Thrive model all all together, here's what it looks like. So you're meant to thrive, and we thrive best as human beings as we worship God, as we're in community, as we get equipped, and as we do this stuff. So if you look at this model and what we're doing this fall, our equip classes are three weeks long. So we're going to start off with a night of worship. Then we'll have three weeks of equip courses to get you equipped to do God's work. And then right after that, that very next week, we're going to launch all of our, our life groups, our community groups, the very next week after those three weeks. So on your connection card, there's a, those different bubbles. I want to encourage you to sign up for one. Um, there are gonna be some re- there's going to be some really good classes. We want to see you fully equipped, prepared to do what God's calling you to do and to be his hands and feet in our community. Okay? So that's our Thrive model. And um, I have one more thing, and then I'm going to jump into my, the sermon this morning. Um, Next week, and actually it's in your bulletin, if you don't mind, pull out a little piece of paper that looks like this, and look at it with me. We're going to start a brand new series next week. Today we're going to finish off a series. Next week we're going to start a series called Philemon, and we're going to be looking at the art of understanding and reading Paul's letters. And my goal for this series, we're going to tackle Paul's shortest letter in the Bible, it's it's actually it's on your most bibles it's like one page no joke it's one it's a short letter that paul wrote two thousand years ago we're going to tackle this letter and it's actually in the there's only three hundred thirty five greek words in this letter okay it's the shortest letter that we have um, from paul and so what we want to do with that is we want to use that to understand how do we understand paul And so we're going to use that as a template for looking at Paul's other books. But specifically, we're going to dive into this book called Philemon. It's a great book. Uh, I think it's overlooked. um, And so it's going to be a wonderful experience. The reason why we print these is for you to invite a friend or relative uh, on this journey. So it's going to be a great journey. That will start next week and go for either three or four weeks. So today we're finishing a series called Religion Saves and Other Things the Bible Doesn't Say. And so today I want to tackle being spiritual is all that matters because that's all God cares about. And I want to tackle this one because I think more people in the church, in the Western church, in America today, I've heard it over and over again. I'm a Christian when I go to church on Sunday and maybe on Wednesday night. And the rest of my week, it's like just a secular event. I just, you know, I go from Sunday to then Wednesday, and I try to get back on track, and then I dive up the deep end, you know, Thursday morning, and and just try to wait till Sunday, and I want us to look at our lives before God and say, maybe, just maybe, all of our life as a Christian is spiritual before God, and maybe, just maybe, Monday morning work can be a place to encounter God. So that's what I want to talk about today. And so I have a couple questions for you as we start. Is it true that spiritual things are more important than natural things? And you just have to let it sit for a moment. Is it true that spiritual things are more important than natural things? Is like going to a Bible study a higher or more excellent activity than working? Don't answer it, just let it sit. With your heart for a moment, is praying and reading your Bible always more important than eating or mowing the grass or cleaning the house, doing homework, coffee with a friend, exercising, running, whatever, however you want to fill in the blank? Is it? Is it in our brains? Um, Eric Little he loved to run, and you guys have probably heard this story, um, but Eric loved to run and he was fast. He was really fast. Now he and his family had signed up and they had committed their lives to going to be missionaries in China. But Eric also loved to run. He's from England and he loved to run. And um, so he's this devout Christian and he's one of the greatest runners in the world and he lived in the 1920s. His sister named Jenny said said eric you have to give up running it's a secular earthly endeavor and you need to get back up you know get to the field in china and as eric and jenny are having this conversation um, he has this epiphany moment and here's what he says to his sister and his sister was really questioning his commitment to god he said this he said he said, Jenny, I believe that God has made me for a purpose, for China. He also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. To give up running would be to hold God in contempt, to disrespect God. And so if you know his, Eric's history, he was in the 1924 Olympics. And his fastest race was the 100 meter. And Eric, the preliminaries for the 100 meter happened on Sunday. And Eric refused to run. He's like, this is, this is the Sabbath, but for God, I'm not going to run. And so he was disqualified. He could not even run his very best. Uh, he, that, that was his number one race, and he was the best at it. Uh, when he raced, he qualified for the 200 meter the 400 meter and something else and so he when he was in the final race for the 200 meter he took third place he took a bronze medal home with him and so then he had signed up you know he he qualified for the 400 meter and the 400 meter was like the farthest from his like where 100 meter was the best 200 meter was okay but 400 meters is just not great for him and so he's at, the, he's at the, the blocks ready, and somebody comes walking by him and hands him a little piece of paper. And the little piece of paper said this, those who honor me, I will honor. And they quoted 1 Samuel 2.30. And um, Eric had this in his hand, he crumpled up, held it, and he ran, and he won the gold. And not only did he win the gold for the 400 meter, he beat every wo- the world record at that moment. And so, right after this all happened, uh, the next year, 1925, Eric went to China to be a missionary. In 1941, England contacted all their people that were serving in China as missionaries and other things and said, you guys have to get out. The government's in turmoil. Um, he's still... He decided to stay, and he uh, died as a martyr in 1945 when he was 43. Hello? Okay. He died when he was 43 years old. In 2008, Chinese authorities communicated that Eric had given up an opportunity to leave the country in a prisoner exchange, and he gave his position up to a pregnant woman. And that's that's his whole story, or at least the, the running missionary side of his story. And so many of us, the reason why I bring this story up is because so many of us are like Eric's sister, Jenny, and we label things as secular. So running secular and going to church and praying are sacred. And, and too many of the church have tied this idea of secular with the natural things in life, the normal waking up, getting up, eating, normal life activity, going to work, doing, doing the average life things. And we pit that against the spiritual and the sacred. And if we could define, let me define uh, secular for you. Secular is a state of being separate from a relationship with God. Separate from relationship with God versus spiritual, being with God. And we tend to believe that the spiritual is, like I said, church and Bible study and devotions and praying and church functions. And the rest of life is secular. It's eating, working, driving kids to school, shopping, game night, grocery shopping, going to the park, going to the doctors. All that type of stuff, bathing, everyday mundane things is the secular side of my life. And what I would like us to do as a church community is completely reframe all of it. Reframe all of it. Everything in your life, if you are a Christian, is sacred. Everything. Because what, what we do, we have, we do everything with God. And that's the very definition of sacred. With God versus, uh, versus secular without God. Everything we do, we are called to do with God. And I think if we reframe this, all of a sudden you start to realize, oh my gosh, God's trying to use me in this particular situation at work because my work is no longer a secular endeavor. My work is sacred before God. So have you run into the hyper-spiritual, hallelujah, God bless you, brother John, not thinking, leave your, Christ- your brain at the door, Christian? Anybody run into one of those? I've run into several. Um, They tend to hyper-spiritualize everything. Every decision is bathed in prayer. Do I buy mayonnaise or Miracle Whip? God, do I buy Cheerios or Wheaties today? Do I bite or cut my nails? I don't know. God, give me direction. Do I nap or read the newspaper? Boxers or briefs? And the list goes on and on, right? Um, Yeah, (laughs) it's a little over the top, but it's, I've met some. Um, And this is a true story. There was a lady, Karen. She was in my church growing up. She was the sweetest lady in the world. She started watching TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network. And as she watched this, she got this idea in her head that she didn't want to do anything secular in her life. She only wanted to do the holy sacred before God. And so she just said, I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting in this chair in my living room unless God tells me to do it. And so she didn't eat anything unless she sensed God telling her to eat something. She didn't comb her hair unless she sensed God telling her to comb her hair. She didn't answer the phone unless she sensed, had this sense that God was telling her to do that. She didn't open her shades in her house. She didn't go anywhere or do anything. She didn't get her mail or read her mail. She didn't even brush her teeth. Okay, now my mom heard about this, And, and just so you know, Karen was not insane. She had this idea that all this stuff over here is secular and I want my life before God to be, I just want to like, I want to bounce around from cloud to cloud walking with God and, and this stuff is preventing me from a deeper, more profound relationship with God. So she had this idea that all this earthly, natural stuff was Secular. And so she wasn't insane, though. And so my mom went to her house after about 10 days of this, and she said, Karen, get out of of that chair right now. Go brush your teeth, comb your hair, take a shower. We're going for a walk. And they took a walk outside, and um, she, my mom said, you know what, all this natural stuff, what if you did all that with God? And God's not absent from any of it. And so my mom had to shake her back into a reality, maybe a reality that she had missed because she had viewed this secular, 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 sacred divide in her life. You know that God desires to use your mind and your spirit? God designed us holistically, body, spirit, mind, emotions, not just spirit. Now Jesus was all of those things too, do you know that? And today we're going to read a story of the Son of God at a wedding party. And I love this story, it's one of my favorite stories. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 2. And do you notice that at weddings, something always, like it always goes wrong, right? No matter, no matter how much planning, no matter how much prep, no matter how much you try to get kids to to follow along and and be on board, something always is off, right? One of my friends is telling me that they had the ring bearer, was this little boy, and so he, as they were doing the wedding, the boy walked up, and he would go to the audience and go, and then he'd, and he walked all the way up doing this, and they said, uh, his, uh, it was his uncle's wedding. What were you doing? He goes, I was the ring bearer. <laughs> like, true story. Like, so weddings are, uh, they, I mean, they, they always go wrong, right? Every, something always goes wrong. Well, we're at a wedding in Cana 2,000 years ago, and there's a terrible problem, not just something funny and cute. There's a horrible problem at, at, on, on the radar, and here is what happened. So verse 1, on the third day, A wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and the disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So, historically, we know that weddings lasted for days versus our weddings here, the ceremony's 30 minutes, and dinner's two hours, and everybody scatters. Well, historically, we know that weddings... They would gather together for days. Two, three days was was very normal. And the host was responsible. Now, this wasn't just inconvenience that the wine ran out. It was a social disaster. This was disgraceful. This would have brought shame upon that bride for her entire life in that little town that she lived in. Okay, so that's how serious we're talking. We're not talking like a little social taboo. We're talking something that is completely out of the ordinary. You would never, ever think of letting the wine run out. And so, verse 4 says this. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. So, whenever Jesus talks about time, whenever you hear that time or hour he's referring to the cross and what's ultimately going to happen in his life and once the cross begins or once he does a miracle it's just a matter of time until the cross is at hand and so whenever Jesus talks about hour minutes um, he's referring to the road to the cross his mother said to the servants do whatever he tells you Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. So here's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to use these ceremonial washing jars, okay, to produce his first miracle, to show his glory. And what I love about this is that Jesus does, does not hesitate to suspend ritual law in favor of a friend's honor. Now, the impact, uh, Jesus used these jars that they would use for washing so that they could worship easier and better and faster 2,000 years ago. Oh, that's great. It would be like me today taking our finest chalice and say, I'm just so thirsty. I need to pour myself a Coke I, I need I need I need a coke and I need I need to drink and so I'm just gonna use this chalice that we would all say is kind of like maybe it's kind of special and we're I'm just gonna fill it up. Oh, isn't this good? I don't like coke very much, <laughs> <laughs> but but some of you are like, uh, can you do? Don't don't do that, like. Like, that's what we use for communion. Are you, John, Jesus had the same response 2,000 years ago. He, his, as his miracles start, all of a sudden, the road to the cross is going to be there because the religious elite don't like stuff like this during Jesus' day. And so, so when Jesus used these ceremonial washing jars, this is a big deal, So Jesus is willing to suspend ritual, religious ritual law for his friend's honor. I love, I love that. And Jesus used six stone water jars. So these, the Bible says that they each held 20 to 30 gallons. If you add that up, it's 120 to 180 gallons, which equates to about 800 bottles of wine. Okay? That's the type of quantity we're talking about here. So verse 7, Jesus said to the servants, Fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. Verse 9, they did, they did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. And he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you've saved the best until now. You know, if God makes wine, I bet it's going to be really good. <laughs> right? And verse 11, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed in Canaan of Galilee, thus, he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. No, I love this part. Jesus revealed his glory, not at a church, not at a synagogue, not at a temple, but at a wedding party. He revealed his glory at a wedding party. For John, the important thing was not the event, but the fact that Jesus was just there. The Word made flesh, the God who dwells among us, goes to parties and joins our everyday affairs and activities. So, I wish I had a dollar every time somebody said to me, "You're a pastor, you seem so human." <laughs> no joke I've heard that like hundred uh, it seems like hundreds of times. there's probably only a couple dozen but um and you, you just seem like such a normal guy, John. you're so human." And then my question is, why are you saying this? <laughs> is it unusual for a pastor to be human, or are they implying that being Spiritual and human are incapable of of connecting the dots there. They're incompatible. The more spiritual I am, the less human I will be. You guys know that Jesus was fully human? He was fully the Son of Man and the Son of God. He was both and instead of either or. Fully the Son of Man. And in that, God took human flesh into his own nature. And in doing so, in the person of Jesus... God became human. It's the gr- one of those great mysteries. Jesus was fully God, and He was fully a human being. We call this the incarnation. Incarnation means in flesh. The incarnation was the infleshment of God. The infleshment of God. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, listen to this, guys. This is this is crazy. Uh, When Jesus was raised from the dead, it's not a spiritual resurrection, is it? His physical body was resurrected, came out of the grave. Luke's gospel, Jesus is actually eating. Okay? So God not only became human for 30 plus years of his life, of Jesus' life, but upon his ascension into heaven, he therefore took human flesh upon himself forever. What? What? Being human is good. Humanity is good. And some of you are saying, but what about the sin issue, John? Let me tackle it. Um, Jesus didn't come to deliver us from our humanity, but to deliver our humanity from the power and the curse of sin in our lives. From the abuse of our humanity. Jesus came to make our humanity holy. And what does holy mean? It just means set apart for God. Set apart for God. Not less Human, not less human, guys. So when I became a Christian, I didn't become less human. When you became a Christian, you didn't become less human. My humanity became set apart for God's purpose and plan. Follow me? Okay. There's some people. okay. Follow me? <laughs> okay, so whatever we do, even if it's the common and mundane, the eating, drinking, sleeping, we're doing that stuff for the glory of God in our lives. And I've mentioned to you th- this concept before, but I, it's worthwhile bringing up in this context here. So there's always two ways to look at your life as a Christian. And I think this is really important. Um, and I lived the first, you could say, growing up in the church, I lived the first like half of my Christian life. There is a God, therefore nothing else matters. But there's a second way to live that's so much more healthy and whole, and it, 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 it brings life to our relationship with God. There is a God, therefore everything matters in life. Everything. My eating, drinking, sleeping, all that stuff now matters. Because God is real and alive. So as God is interested in my, like, you know, your family camping trip this week as he is in the service, Yes, God is. Is God as concerned about dinner tonight with friends as he he is in the pre-service prayer that we had? Yes. Is God as interested in the Dodgers winning the World Series because they're doing really good as he is in our growth groups? No! Well, maybe, I don't know, I don't know. But you get my point, right? Remember, all of life is sacred. And as a Christian... We always have this choice. So I can take this event that's going to happen later today, and if I, I can exclude God from that, and it becomes, it becomes, it's not sacred anymore. It's a secular thing in my life. But that's not God's plan or heart. God says, nope, this is, do that with me. It's the with God life that we're talking about. Everything we do, we do with God. So all of life is sacred. Um and i think about it this way so uh, you know i'm a dad I have, I have quite a few kids and i'm really interested in all of my life all of my five kids and all the things that they do and i am very interested in their spirituality um, my son creedy was in mexico and he came back and he was telling me some stories and i remember when he was 5 years old we we're chatting on we we're driving and he said to me, as a 5 year I said, Creed, who's, we're just going back and forth with questions. And I said, Creed, who's your best friend? And right off the tip of his mind, he just said, God. And as a dad in that moment, I'm like, oh, my son that's five years old believes his best friend is God. That is amazing. I'm doing something right. But guess what? So I'm interested in his passionate spirituality and that growing in his life. But guess what? I'm also, as a dad, interested in every other part of his life. I love my kids. I want the best for them, right? And so I love having fun with him and spending quality time and enjoying the things that he loves. I'm interested in everything about him. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, and spirituality is part of that. But authentic spirituality is bringing Jesus into every activity from going to church to a Dodger game or... The Quakes game, or I mean, it, it's it's including God in all of it. So let me read to you guys Romans two one from the message. So here's what I want you to do: God helping you, take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. What a great text to memorize take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Bring Jesus into every activity. Is what Paul's saying here. Bring Jesus into every activity. Not just church on Sunday and a life group on Wednesday, growth group on Wednesday. No, it's like every little thing. Bring Jesus into every activity. The God who dwells among us goes to parties and joins our everyday activities. All of life is sacred, people. All of it. Work, play, and everything in between. Gary Kinnaman said this. There is a God, so a lot of people believe that nothing else matters except the God of the Bible created matter and life, and he said it was good. Then he created human human life and purposely placed us here to work and enjoy his creation. God's goal is not to get us out of here, but to get himself back in. Not to destroy creation, but to restore it. Not to release me from the limitation of my humanity, but to release my humanity from the deadly limitations and consequences of sin. Well said, well said. So if you don't view your everyday ordinary waking life you're eating sleeping normal life stuff as sacred it will turn into secular things and that's I think partly what the western church has done for far too long so let me give you a couple practical tips here number one practice being aware of God being with us at all times practice the all of life is sacred all of it every bit. The things that you don't think are sacred. Say, Holy Spirit, would you do this with me right here? Would you join me in this? And and all of a sudden, our brain starts to shift. And we become aware of God's presence in the everyday moments. This is a shift in the way we think. No separate compartments. Life is many things, but God should be in all of those details. So, John, give me an example of what you're talking about. Um, I like to watch movies, and I watch movies with God. I watch movies with God, and I'll, I sometimes I'll be having a dialogue. And I'm like, Holy Spirit, wow, that, that seems really impactful. I'll, I'll have these moments as I'm watching a film, and so I watch films with Jesus. We can do that, guys. And And guess what? Sometimes, because we're watching with Jesus, there's been some moments where I've said, oh, Jesus, you want me to shut that off now, don't you? (laughs) Right? And there's been other times where I'm watching with Jesus and there's an unexpected moment that happens and I'm like, I sense God speaking to me through that film in a really unique way. So what if we did all of life with Jesus, including Those little detail things that we would normally say, nope, that's not with God. God, you stay over there, and I'm going to do my own stuff over here. Right? That's when things become secular in our life. So let's practice the with God life. All of life is sacred. Number two, have you viewed your your job as secular? And this is where you need to renew your mind if you, view, if you view your job as secular, renew your mind, change your view. What are you doing? Can, what you're doing, it can be sacred. And if you don't view your job as sacred, it becomes secu- secular. You, choo- you get to choose what those minutes are going to be. Stop seeing just the dollars. It can be life-changing for you and those around you. God is at work. Join God. Your career, your job is not a secular activity. And a lot of times people are like, you don't, John, you're you're a pastor. Your job's like walking in water all day long. And just so you know it's not. Um, but you know, my role, my job is no higher calling than your calling. A calling's a calling by God. It's just one of the many callings of business and politics and education and medicine and arts and science and sales and construction. It's just one of many callings, right? Number three. The water jars used for Jewish purification rites were a sign that God was doing something new. A new thing from within the old system. The transformation of water to wine signified the change and impact that Jesus could have and can still have today on our lives. Remember, transformation only came when Mary's, when uh, when someone took Mary's words seriously. Do whatever he tells you to do. And what is that? What's that called? It's called obedience. And there's going to be moments where you're walking forward and you just have to remember Mary's words. Do whatever... God is telling you to do. And that's called obedience. And that's an important thing to grow into as God's people. So just do what He says and look for the miracle. Because that's when miracles happen. When we're obedient with, to what God's calling us to do. Okay. Uh, let me pray. And, and in a moment, if you're here and you want to give your life to Jesus, haven't done that. Maybe you haven't made that first time commitment. Maybe you haven't said, "You know what? I want to align my life with the Lordship of Jesus." I give my life to God. I, I'm going to have you stand in just a moment. So just yeah. Let, let me pray. Holy Spirit, come, Lord. We want all that you have for us as your people. And so, Lord, for some of us that haven't actually made the decision, we've never actually stepped out and said we want to align our lives with God. We want to walk step in step, hand in hand. We want to be set apart for God. And so Holy Spirit, come, Lord, help us have courage and grace as we move forward to step into that. Maybe that's you. Maybe you're saying, you know what? I need to give my life to Jesus. Um, you know, sometimes we make it too difficult. We say, we'll say this long prayer and then do this and this and this and this. You know, when Jesus was crucified on the cross, there was two thieves, one on either side of him, and to one of the thieves, Jesus, he simply said, "Jesus, remember me." You guys remember that? So a thief. All, he didn't say some long prayer. He just said, Jesus, remember me. And something happened in that thief's heart. And it changed his whole disposition. He said, I want a relationship with you, God. Here I am. I've made a lot of mistakes. I've hurt people. I've hurt myself. I've hurt you. That thief was saying, just I want to be a part of life bit with God. I made. I made some. Just remember me, Jesus, acknowledging that. His heart and life needed God. And uh, that's what giving your life over and aligning your life with Jesus is really all about. It's saying, here I am in all of my weakness and failures, and and I need to give my life to Jesus.
1: And I accept
0: him as Lord and Savior. I give him my life uh, from this day forward. I'm I'm saying I want to line myself up with Jesus. So if that's you and you want to make a first-time decision, um, I'm just going to have you stand up. So if that's you, just stand up with me, and I want to lead you to lead our church in a prayer. Is there anybody here? Your heart's beating real fast. life. And so God, here we are. We want to serve you. We want to love you. We want to acknowledge you in the smallest little things in our life. And so as we're singing this song, I want you to answer this question in your heart today. And we'll have our closing prayer in just a minute. But ask Jesus to hold your hand and guide you to where Life as secular, just during the song, like Jesus, lead me to those spots, those moments where I have left you behind, and and it could be work, it could be golf, it it could be whatever. So, ask the Holy Spirit to show you those moments during the song, and then sign of saying, God, thank you for revealing that to my heart. Just like, say, God, I give you that. I choose to enter in that relationship with you. I want to do that with you instead of without My life, I want that area of my life to be sacred, not secular anymore. Okay? So let the Holy Spirit fill in that hole for you as we sing this song, and then when we're, in a minute, we'll have our ministry team come on up, but let's sing together.